Good morning, Wisconsin. This is Brett Healy, and welcome to another edition of the MacGyver Newsmakers podcast. On Friday, Circuit Court Judge Paul Malloy in Ozaki County ordered the state of Wisconsin to remove hundreds of thousands of names off the voter rolls because, well, it's state law. Judge Malloy's ruling came about because of a lawsuit filed by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. State law currently requires certain voters to verify their address, and if a letter from the State Elections Commission comes back from the post office as undeliverable, the Elections Commission is required under state law to remove that name from the statewide voter list. Friday's ruling from Malloy has created quite the firestorm, with many on the left vowing to fight the lawsuit and decrying it as an attempt to purge voters from the list. So the MacGyver Newsmakers podcast welcomes in Rick Essenberg, President and General Counsel of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Rick, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me on, Brett. So, Rick, give us uh, our listeners an idea of what's going on here. Give us some background on the lawsuit and, and why Will believes this is the right thing to do. Right, and thanks for the opportunity to do this, because I think, as you pointed out, there's been a lot more heat than light in the public reaction to this. Surprise, uh, surprise. This is really a very modest attempt to, uh, to clean up the voter rolls. Um, this, the state of Wisconsin belongs to a consortium called ERIC. Uh, it is uh, about 28, 29 states that belong to it. Uh, each of them pays dues. And ERIC generates um, what's called a movers list. Um, there's a problem with voter rolls because, you know, most of us, if, if we move, we don't, you know, we don't go to the municipality that we've moved from and tell them that we no longer live at our old address and that they should deactivate our voter registration. We don't go to the election commission and tell them that. And so what Eric does is, is they do some data matching and they generate this movers list. And the only way that you can be on the list is if you, the voter, has given a government agency in an official government transaction an address other than the one that you're registered at. And so the information that is on this movers list comes from the voter himself or herself. State law then provides that when an election official gets reliable information indicating that a voter has moved, it triggers the responsibility to send a notice to that voter informing them that it appears that you've moved. And the law further provides that if the voter doesn't request that his or her registration be continued at that old address within 30 days, that the registration shall be deactivated. And this is a very modest way to try to keep our voter rolls as accurate as they possibly can be, uh, both to... uh, aid the administration of elections and make it more efficient, uh, but also to prevent an avenue of fraud. You have a lot of, uh, for lack of a better word, dead names on the voter rolls. This is uh, an opportunity for people to request absentee ballots and their names. And, and, uh, and so uh, it's, uh, 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 the state has decided, the legislature has decided that we should try to keep these rolls as accurate as possible. So I think it's important to, real quick, Rick, so I think it's important to focus in on, uh, this isn't an outside group saying these people should no longer be on the rolls. This isn't uh, uh, some guess by an outside group that, well, maybe these voters uh, have moved. 
this is official notification from a government database that the voter has signed up for themselves with a different address, and that's triggered this review. Right, right. The, the information that leads to the movers list is information that comes from the government that has been provided by the voter to the government in some type of an official transaction, registering a vehicle or something like that. That's the only way that you can get on this list. Sorry, continue. I didn't mean to cut you off. Right. So, uh, what so what what happens is is the the, the Wisconsin Election Commission has decided on its own that uh, it's not going to follow state law. That uh, it will not deactivate these registrations within 30 days uh, if a continuation is not requested. Um, but it's going to uh, wait anywhere between 12 and 24 months, depending upon where you are in the election cycle and see whether these uh, voters actually vote in subsequent elections. Now, we know that very few will. Uh, In 2017, uh, over 340,000 of these notices were sent to people on the movers list. About 6,000 of them uh, uh, requested continuation within 30 days. But after that, only another 8,000 presented themselves at the old polling place and requested to vote. So this suggests to us that this movers list is um, uh, is very accurate. Right? Most of these people have moved. So when you read things about, you know, 240,000 voters being purged from the polls, uh, that's misleading. Uh, the overwhelming majority of these people no longer reside at the address in which they're registered. Now, there can be a few, right? The, the, the uh, reliable uh, information is not necessarily perfect information, and it's possible that a voter might uh, be on this list and they haven't moved, and uh, it's possible that that voter may ignore the notice that is uh, sent to him or to her and uh, have their registration be deactivated. But even in that circumstance, because Wisconsin has same-day registration, when that voter goes to the poll to cast his or her ballot and finds out that the registration has been deactivated, the voter will be able to re-register right there and cast a ballot. Uh, you need proof of residence in order to do that, but most people will have that proof of residence because we have a photo identification requirement, and that most forms of photo identification are going to have an address, and if you haven't moved, that address is going to match the address at which you're registered. And there still could be a few voters that fall through the cracks, but they have an opportunity to go and, and uh, you know, get proof of residence, it's not hard to do at all, or even to cast a provisional ballot, we believe. So no one is going to be disenfranchised, no one is going to be unable to vote, and this really is about following the law, and it's a law that was passed to make sure that our voter rolls are as accurate as they can be. So let's go back real quick for our listeners. I know I'm furiously jotting down notes, uh, and let's go back over those numbers that you gave us. In 2017, you said how many... Uh, uh, same day was it same day registrations? No, it 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 
it is uh, the notices sent to people who are on this uh, uh, movers list, Possible move, move which list. is generated by this consortium of state governments uh, based upon uh, uh, a, a voter providing an address other than the one they're registered at in a government transaction. So they were 340,000 uh, notices sent to people on this movers list right. in, yeah, in 2017. Um, a little more than 6,000 of them returned the notice within 30 days and asked that their registration be continued at their old address, essentially saying, no, I didn't move, I still live here. So that's a very small percentage. Small, small percentage uh, actually responded um, like the system had. A small percentage set. actually responded and said, no, I haven't moved. Um, about a little over 8,000 then in one of the ensuing elections uh, in 2018 and 2019, including the, you know, the 2018 midterm, which had uh, record turnout for the midterm election, about 8,000 showed up at the old uh, polling place uh, and, uh, and, and attempted to vote, and they were permitted to do so. So uh, that suggests that uh, the error rate the number of errors in this moving list of 340,000 was about 14,000 people, uh, or a little bit over 4%. So this tells us that this movers list is, is, is quite accurate. accurate. It is a reliable indicator that the voter has moved, and state law then requires certain steps to be taken. And the problem is, is the election commission wasn't following those steps. They weren't deactivating the registration. So why wasn't the Elections Commission following state law? You know, MacGyver looked at the um, postcards sent out after the 2016 election, and we found all the way back then that, um, especially in the city of Madison, uh, they weren't following uh, state law. So. Why, are we, why do we find ourselves here today? Why was the Elections Commission not following state law? That seems pretty straightforward. Well, I, 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 think, I think the staff of the Elections Commission made the mistake of thinking reliable information has to be perfect information. And it, it doesn't have to be. I think about what's going on here. Uh, the law is concerned with... Um, it, removing people from the voter list who no longer live at their old address. And so the this movers list is a triggering device. It's like a pre-screening mechanism, which triggers this obligation to send a notice. Uh, and uh, 90 to 95% of these people have moved, and that's that's pretty reliable. Um, you know, think about it. If, if, uh, if there was a test uh, to detect whether you had some type of disease, and it was uh, 90 to 95% of the time, it did indicate that you have this disease, you would take the next step uh, if you got a positive result. Similarly, it's reasonable uh, for the legislature to have concluded, and it did, uh, that uh, uh, if there's reliable indication that a voter has moved, as there is here, that uh, the, the voter be sent a notice and asked to confirm his or her address, and if the voter fails to do so, then that that registration is deactivated. Now, the Election Commission uh, says, well, but it, there, 
there could be some people who haven't moved, and because of that, we want to wait. But there's no authority in the law that gives them the option of waiting, right? The law is very clear. It says that their registration status shall be changed to inactive, right? It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It is a command. And, you know, in our system of government, uh, bureaucrats don't make the law. Right? It's their job to follow the law. If they think that the law should be different, that they should have uh, a longer period of time before these registrations are deactivated, then their remedy is to go to the legislature and ask the legislature to change the statute. But until it does, it's their duty to follow the law. And the problem here is that they didn't follow this plain duty, and that's why Judge Malloy uh, ordered a writ of mandamus. And i got to tell you, Brett, a, a writ of mandamus is a, uh, you know, it sounds, uh, uh, you know, highfalutin very and technical official. and it's Latin, but <laughs> but uh, very official. But, but you know, it, 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 it is an order that you get when a, mem- a, a, a government official has not followed a plain legal duty, right? Something about which there really is no dispute. And Judge Malloy found that this command in the statute is a, creates a plain and clear legal duty for uh, the election commission to act, and uh, and and so issued this writ. And, uh, and I'm, I was very distressed to hear uh, earlier today that uh, one of the election commissioners said that, well, the law is not the law until the Court of Appeals says it is. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, all t- I'm told that that election commissioner may be a lawyer, and if so, he's not a very good one, That's because a-, a court order is a court order until somebody excuses you from it. The election commission's lawyers asked that the judge stay his order. The judge refused to do that, and the election commission now has an obligation until some higher court tells them otherwise, to comply with this uh, order that was issued by Judge Malloy. Now, not later, now. And I think uh, that's part of the reason why you've seen such the reaction from the far left is because, uh, much to their surprise, uh, you know, Judge Malloy made it clear that uh, this is an open and shut case. Uh, it's There's no ambiguity here. There's no uh, question what state law says, and for some reason... For whatever reason, the elections board hasn't been following state law. Uh, can I follow up a little bit on the elections board? Um, before the announcement on Friday of the decision, you did have the board um, seeking, as they put it, further clarification from the legislature about the law and what the intent of the law was. But as we just discussed, it's clear cut. There's, there's no... Uh, indecision here whatsoever. Uh, if you do not respond in a timely fashion to that letter sent to you, uh, you are to be uh, taken off the roll. Uh, what's going on with the elections board and any idea why they, they thought they needed clarification? Um, I, 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 I don't. Um, <laughs> I, I think that um, what, what's happening here is that the staff is straining against uh, a clear command that, that they are to act in a certain way. Um, they don't want to do it, uh, maybe because they disagree with the law, 
or they think that um, it would be easier to do nothing. And uh, the commission itself seems to be deadlocked on on uh, partisan grounds with, you know, Democrats not wanting, for whatever reason, to clean up the voter rolls and the Republican members uh, preferring to do that. And at least that's that's the those seem to be the results that we saw um, at the meeting that was held earlier today. Now, you know, there, there's a problem here in that, uh, and, and we see this in uh, so many areas of election law, where there there is this kind of curious ideology that says that voting is the most important and sacred right that we have, but we can't ask anyone to lift a finger in order to vote. We can't expect them to return a notice uh, confirming that they still reside at the address that they're registered at. We can't expect them to re-register if, after having ignored that notice, their registration has been deactivated. And if at every turn and every time a question comes up regarding election integrity and you know attempting to reduce the probability of fraud, we're told, well, we can't do that because that will inconvenience some hypothetical voter. We can imagine someone who might uh, you know, have to uh, put additional effort into casting their ballot. If, if that's the rule, right, that, that even the slightest inconvenience means that we can do nothing to ensure ballot integrity, then that means we can do nothing to ensure ballot integrity because there's no system that's perfect. And, and uh, you know, uh, all measures that are designed to reduce the probability of fraud uh, will occasionally impose some inconvenience on someone. But in this case, uh, where uh, there are very, very few people who are incorrectly on these movers list, where uh, these people, the, the, the registration of these people will be deactivated only if they fail to return the notice. And even if they fail to return the notice, they'll still be able to re-register at the polls and vote. This is a very, very modest and unintrusive uh, uh, attempt to uh, maintain the accuracy of our voter rolls. And if we can't do this, then I'm not sure what we can do. For such a fundamental, fundamentally important basic right, the 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 right of one person one vote, to to ask someone to return uh, a letter that they actually are still at the same address, and then as you point out, it we make it so easy in this state to register to vote the day of the election. You can show up and vote as long as you have uh, a couple pieces of identification. Uh, this really is not asking too much of uh, voters to to make sure we have uh, accurate and uh, accurate uh, poll lists, which is going to help ensure the integrity of of the whole voting process. It's just it's not asking too much, and uh, yeah. quite frankly, yeah, it's state it's state law. Weren't, yeah, I think you're that's not right. Make, you're not making this me, up. I'm not making this up. This is what the legislature and the governor signed into law. And somehow, once again, 
and you guys have been at the forefront of this on so many different areas, we have an agency, a state agency, thinking that they can just ignore state law. Yeah. And let me let me uh yeah, let me look look at this from a different angle. So, you know, earlier today there was a there was a, a protest kitty corner to us uh, here in downtown Milwaukee uh, in front of the Zeidler building. And the argument is being made that uh, there's no evidence of this, but the argument is nevertheless being made uh, that this somehow discriminates against uh, uh, minority voters or persons of low income. Now, uh, that would be true only if you were more likely to be incorrectly listed as a mover on this list uh, because you're a minority or because you're low income, you know, than persons who are not minorities or have higher income. Now, here are the examples that we were given by the Wisconsin Election Commission of people who might be uh, inaccurately listed as movers. Someone who registers a vehicle at their vacation home. Someone who purchases a car for their college-age student and registers it at their college address and not their home address. Now, in both of those cases, it's possible that someone may be uh, inaccurately on the mover's report. But those are very unlikely to be lower-income people, uh, people who have vacation homes or buy cars for their college-age student. And so we sort of have this kind of we're, – we're, we're faced constantly with this kind of reflexive and unthinking accusation that, you know, you're just going after poor people or you're just going after Democrats. But there's no evidence that that's, uh, that that's so here. And uh, the um, – uh, so, you know, as you said before, uh, th- there is a point at which we have to um, uh, we, we we have to understand that in something like an election, right, where you know there are people who differ on what the outcome should be, they disagree about candidates, that it's very important that we follow the law, the rules, right, that we respect the rule of law. Um, not only because it's valuable in and of itself, right, that that, that having clean voter rolls is in and of itself a good thing but also because when it comes to an election it's very important that everybody has confidence in the outcome right that they that they believe that the election was fair because as important as the right to vote is a corollary of that is not having your vote canceled by uh you know some type of uh, you know voter fraud or unfair behavior and so it's important that people believe in the integrity of our elections. And one of the ways that you communicate that to people is by following the rules that the legislature has passed. When you start making exceptions to those rules, then you know people become – they come to question the integrity of the process. They come to wonder what's going on and whether the electoral outcome is really fair or not. And that's something that um, – uh, it, it's it's important uh, for the state of Wisconsin to avoid, and the way you do that is by following the laws as and, written. And it should be important to everyone, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, sure. conservatives. It shouldn't just be a he said, she said, one side versus the other. Uh, you know, ballot integrity is important to everyone, and um, I, I think if our friends on the left 
could take a second, take a step back and think a little clearly about this, they join you in this lawsuit. As you point out, uh, we need uh, elections administered fairly and uniformly. Uh, we can't have one part of the state. We can't have special rules for, for this county or that county. Uh, they have to be uniform and they have to be administered uh, in a fair and unbiased way. And uh, it, to me, it, that, that's the most disappointing thing from, from the reaction today from some of those on the far left is um, they think this is a partisan issue and, and it couldn't be further from that. This is, this is about state law and making sure that uh, our, our elections are, are administered in a fair and unbiased way. And another thing, I mean, looking at it again from, from, from yet another perspective, we often hear uh, the claim made that uh, there's no such thing as voter fraud. Now, we, we know that's not true. Um, the, the Heritage Foundation, among others, uh, you know, keeps a database of documented voter fraud. And there was an election in North Carolina uh, that was overturned because of ballot harvesting. You know, we, we live in a world where, thankfully, m most people follow the rules but in almost every endeavor of life, you know, human beings, some human beings will cheat. Uh, they cheat on their taxes. They cheat on their spouses. And in a world where our elections are so hotly contested that people threaten to leave the country if it comes out the wrong way, um, it's not unreasonable to think that somebody might be motivated to cheat. Now, I don't think uh, that in the great run of cases that the level of fraud would be enough to um, uh, to change the result of the election, but some of our elections are quite close. Really close. And so, uh, you know, you guys have, have done some reporting uh, on same-day registrants where, you know, uh, people register to vote at the state, of, uh, you know, at the polls on election day, and they're sent a card to verify that, and the card cannot be delivered. Now, why can't the card be delivered? Well. We don't really know, and uh, we don't really have any way of finding out. I, uh, I, I like to relate the story of um, uh, an election day a number of years back. I was uh, poll watching uh, at a, a polling place in the city of Milwaukee, and at one point in uh, on that election day, at that one polling place, this was the uh, uh, the Bush Kerry election. There were eight lawyers at the polling place, right? It, it, there was, you know, it was combined uh, fees of, you know, three to $4,000 an hour, probably, you know, it was a legal <laughs> dream team. And I got to tell you, people could have been cheating left and right, and those eight lawyers would have had no way to know, because our system is not set up in a way uh, to detect improper behavior. Yes, we think improper behavior is rare, and doesn't, uh, amount to a lot of votes in any particular election, but when you have vote elections which are decided, you know, by a couple thousand votes, uh, it's important to make sure that you take reasonable steps to ensure election integrity. And keeping the voter list accurate and up to date is just a small step towards that goal. Yeah. Uh, so what's next, Rick? Um, you you got the. Uh, ruling from Judge Malloy on Friday, it seems like, based off the reaction in, in the media, that this uh, this decision may be appealed. Can you tell? Can you share with our listeners what's next in the, in the lawsuit? 
Sure. There was an effort by the League of Women Voters to intervene in the case. Uh, Judge Malloy denied that motion to intervene, uh, and they announced at the hearing that they were going to take an appeal. So we know that that's going to happen. They'll be joining uh, you on your side of the case? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Election Commission uh, is, is sort of in an interesting position because uh, they took a vote uh, earlier today on whether to comply with the order, and they split three to three, where, where three people wanted to comply with the order and three people didn't want to comply with the order. Now, I find that shocking, incidentally, that, that three is... election commissioners wouldn't vote to follow an order of a court. I mean, you can appeal and you can ask that that order be stayed, but until a higher court does something, you've got to follow that order. It's not a suggestion. And here again, you have uh, arises, here again you have a board, at least three members of a state board, voting to defy what seems to be a very clear-cut and un- unambiguous decision from from a court. That yeah, is apparently that is so, shocking. So, so what? What the the interesting question is: Will the election commission be able to vote to authorize an appeal? Right, because you know you. Typically, uh, when a lawyer gets a decision, you go to the client and you say, what do you want to do? Do you want to just uh, accept this decision or do you want to appeal? Well, here you have a commission that's deadlocked three to three, so how can it vote to take an appeal? Now, there's some people that will argue that the attorney general has the right to take the appeal anyway without asking the election commission, but but I think that there's kind of a, could be sort of a curious uh, deadlock there as to, as to whether the election commission will appeal. But, uh, you know, I... I you know, this is this is the type of thing where, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the lower court decision is usually only the first step. Um, an appeal will get taken, if not by the election commission, then by this uh, potential intervener. And uh, I think that uh, uh, the appeal will probably be taken in District Four in Madison. Uh, and uh, but uh, no matter what uh, they do, I think this case is probably headed for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And any sense of a timeline, obviously, uh, 2020 is going to be a huge uh, year, uh, not only here in Wisconsin, but in, in, across the entire country with with all sorts of raises up and down the ballot. Any any sense of when this all might be decided? Well, we'd like to have it done by the, uh, the February primary. Uh, I don't know if that can happen. Uh, but uh, but certainly by the the uh, the April spring election, and I'm confident that uh, that it will be resolved one way or another by the uh, by the fall election. And then finally, um, you, you mentioned the attorney general. Any sense of where he is on this question? Is he uh, going to follow the rule of law, step in and follow the rule, rule of law, or do you think he's going to try and intervene on the other side? Well, the Justice Department, you know, represented the the election commission in this case, as you know, as is typical. The the attorney general represents the state. Uh, uh, they argued, uh, defended the election commission's actions, and uh, assuming that uh, an appeal can be taken. Uh, I imagine that uh, they'll continue to do that. 
Well, I'm sorry to say, Rick, we're running out of time. Thank you so much for joining us today on the uh, MacGyver Newsmaker podcast. Fascinating discussion, and uh, we really appreciate you uh, coming on to share your expertise. Couldn't be more timely with the decision on uh, on Friday in this in this case. So thanks again, Rick, for for joining us, and we hope to have you back soon. Yeah, yeah. Feel free. Uh, love to do it. Take care. Thanks, Rick. As always, please share the MacGyver Newsmaker podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and even your sworn enemies. Get every MacGyver Newsmaker podcast delivered directly to your device. Be sure to subscribe through your favorite podcast app, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Google Play. You can also join the conversation. Find MacGyver on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or whatever the latest hip and trendy channel is, and give us your ideas for the show, comments, criticism, whatever you, whatever else is on your mind. We want to hear from you. Until next time, Wisconsin, this is the MacGyver Newsmaker Podcast signing off.